So we're in the uh, next to last week of this series, Who Needs God? We finish up on Easter Sunday. And uh, today we're going to talk about the problem of injustice and evil in the world. <clears throat> injustice or evil, um, the problem of pain and suffering, has caused more people to walk away from Christianity than any other issue. And mainly it's a problem for first world countries. Uh, for example, when we go to Haiti, you don't see people in Haiti um, uh having the same complaints that we do. In fact, faith comes from suffering more than doubts come from suffering. Uh, they have extraordinary faith, not extraordinary doubt. Now, if you're going to talk about evil, think about it like this. Hang on, I've got to get this right. Evil is like rust in a car. If you take the rust out of the car, you have a better car. If you take the car out of the rust, you have no context for the rust. You have nothing. Evil is like a cut in your finger. If you take the cut out of your finger, you have a better finger. If you take your finger out of the cut, you have nothing. Evil only makes sense against a backdrop of good. That's why we often describe evil as a lack of good things. We say something is immoral. Hello. We say something is immoral. We say something is unjust. We say something is unfair. We say something is dishonest. If you remove moral, just, fair, and honest... What you have left is im un undis. Kind of sounds like the cash me outside girl or something like that. You know, how about that? Um, so it only makes sense if you have something to judge it against. So evil can't exist unless God exists. If evil is real, then God exists. C.S. Lewis said this when he was an atheist. As an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? One of the biggest arguments against Christianity um, in our day or against God is the atrocities that people have committed supposedly in the name of God. For example, the Crusades, where 200,000 people died because somebody was trying to defend God, and that's bad. But understand, I, I love this quote by uh, Ravi, Ravi Zacharias. Here's what he says. The Crusades and the Inquisition were the illogical outworking of Christianity. Say, illogical outworking of Christianity. Say it again. They went against, I want you to remember that, they went against everything Christ taught, and you don't judge a religion or a philosophy by its abuse, but by its truths. People can and will abuse true and good things, but that says more about us than it does about God or religion. Atheists never comment about the atrocities committed by Hitler or Mao Zedong or Stalin. In compared to the Crusaders... Crusaders are bad, I'm not defending them. But compared to them, these guys were much, much worse. I'm pointing out the hypocrisy of atheist silence on um, atrocities committed in the name of atheism. The sins of those people were committed because they had a, uh, atheistic beliefs. It was the logical outworking of atheism. Say that. Now think about this. Whether they claim to do it in the name of atheism is irrelevant. Their beliefs, their atheistic beliefs are what justified their mass killings. If there is no God, why not kill to get what you want? Because it is the logical outworking of Darwinism. It is the logical outworking of uh, natural selection. Now, since atheism provides no way to determine good or bad, the atheist really has no standard by which to declare any behavior in the Bible or anywhere else in the world evil. 
In one breath, they claim that there is no good, there is no evil, there is no justice. Those things are just an illusion. They claim that, I I thought this was crazy. I, I mentioned this to Janie when I read it. They claim that all we do is dance to the music of our DNA. We don't have a choice. We are just DNA and we're just dancing to that music. Yeah, hold on to that one. We'll come back to that in a minute. In the very next breath, listen to this. They are outraged at the great injustices and evil done by religious people in the name of God. Just who is the hypocrite? If there is no justice, if there is no evil, how can you complain that the crusaders were evil? Weren't they just dancing to the music of their DNA? I'm not defending the crusaders. I'm saying the atheists are not being consistent in what they believe. If Christianity is true, this life is not all there is. Our lives continue on into eternity. So it makes no sense to complain about a story that's not finished yet. Your life on earth is like the first two or three pages of this book. How do you know how it turns out until you get the full novel? You don't. Your time on earth is two or three pages compared to how long you're going to live in eternity. God is more interested in your eternity. Now, in America, we're really good at complaining. Would you agree with that? As in most modern, modern societies, Canada, <clears throat> Europe, England. And here's what a lot of people in that thinking people, very smart people, here's what they say about God. If he's good, he would. If he could, he would. Get rid of all pain and suffering and evil, injustice. So they question, okay, well, maybe, maybe he's not good. No other God in the history of the world that, that men came up with was good. So they're saying maybe he's not good or they're saying maybe he can't. So maybe he's not all powerful. And then the atheists say, well, maybe there's no God at all. Well, let me give you a little warning before I get into all of this today. <clears throat> Be very careful when you steal other people's pain to make your case against God. I've known people who have suffered far more than you can possibly imagine, and they are some of the most incredibly loyal Christ followers I've ever met or even heard of. For many people, suffering actually puts them on the pathway to God. Um, If you haven't walked in their shoes, you don't get to use their pain to make your case against God. You can use your pain, that's okay, but don't insult others by using their pain to make your case against God or to say there's no God or at least not a good God. The new atheists do this all the time. They take other people's pain and say, what about their pain? What about their pain? You don't get to do that if you're going to be consistent. If they would talk to those people, they might find out that extraordinary pain and suffering often leads to extraordinary confidence in God. So first thing on your listening guide today is pain and suffering in the world is not an argument against God. It's not an argument against anything else for that matter. It is a reminder that we need God. Now, there is no rational argument against the existence of God based on pain and suffering in the world or injustice in our world. It's an emotional argument, but it's not a logical argument. Because I want to show you what Jesus says about eternal life. In John chapter 17, he's, he's praying. You know, we have the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer in, in Matthew. But here it's actually Jesus praying. And here's what John records of Jesus saying in verse 3. Now this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
Eternal life, according to Jesus, is not about the quantity of time that you have on this earth. It's not even about the quality of time you have on this earth. It is about the quality of your relationship with God the Father and God the Son. We know from other scriptures that God wants to mold us and shape us into the image of his Son. He wants us to become like Jesus. But in our sinful world, becoming like Jesus very often requires pain. What do we call a child who gets everything they want? Spoiled. Do you know why we call them spoiled? Because their character is spoiled. Pain and suffering is the antidote to a spoiled character. Pain and suffering um, tends to prevent spoiling. That's why the Bible describes God as a father, not a grandfather in heaven. Again, C.S. Lewis, I just love this guy. He says, we want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of the day, a good time was had by all. That's what we would get if we had a grandfather. But if you want a God who cares only about comfort and not character, you're going to be severely disappointed Because a good God knows that comfort is temporary, but character is eternal. A good God knows that it's difficult, if not impossible, to develop courage without danger, perseverance without obstacles, patience without tribulation, compassion without suffering, character without adversity, faith without need. God is interested in molding and shaping and sculpting our our souls. In the Old Testament, he's, he's called the potter and we're the clay. He wants to shape our soul. Well, uh, soul sculpting is a painful business. Turn up the lights. I got to read a little bit here, Gary. 52-year-old eyes can't see. Now, this is a story of of a woman. Well, you'll hear. Her name is Buff. I'm not making that up. B-U-F-F. Buff Winter. He says, in 2011, the doctors told Chuck that as a preventative measure, he should have a portion of his colon removed. It wasn't cancerous then, but it was only a matter of time. This would be serious surgery, but very safe. The initial surgery seemed to go well. My wife and I visited Chuck in the hospital the next day. While he was in some pain, he appeared to be doing well overall. But the next night, we got an urgent message from Buff asking us to pray. They had to open Chuck up again to clear a suspected blockage, which is not uncommon. What was uncommon was the result. Chuck died the next morning. As a result of this, more than three, uh, as, as of this writing, sorry, more than three years later, no one at the hospital will say why. Perhaps they think that the truth might make them liable to a lawsuit. Buff was left a widow in her 50s with no explanation as to why her husband died. Is she bitter? No. She chose to become better. She was a wonderful woman before Chuck died, but she's been pushed to an even higher level of maturity through this tragedy. About a year after Chuck died, she said something to my wife and me that exemplifies a unique outcome of pain and suffering. Buff said, if Chuck were given the opportunity to come back and reset everything back to the way things were when he died, I don't think he'd do it. I thought she meant because Chuck would miss heaven, but that wasn't it at all. He wouldn't come back, she said, because he wouldn't want to deprive me of the growth I've experienced since he died. I depended on Chuck far too much. Since he's gone, I've become closer to Christ than I've ever been. That growth has not just a temporal payoff, but an eternal payoff as well. Here's what Paul says. Yes, Debbie's agreeing to that. Debbie understands. Um, when her husband died a couple years ago, we were in Haiti and he died unexpectedly. That was, that was a very, very difficult time. Still, still is. Well, here's what Paul says about our suffering in this life. He's not making light of our suffering. He's comparing it to eternity. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The only way I know how to get through tragedy is to focus on the God who is not seen. Because the Bible says that's eternal. What we can see is temporary. Now, Christians have never made an argument for the existence of God based on a world where bad things never happen to good people, right? We know bad things happen to good people. Here's, here's the more logical thought. Injustice in the world calls into, into question the justice of God, not the existence of God. That means, hang on, stay with me. That means it makes more sense to be mad at God than to say there is no God. To be intellectually honest, an atheist should be a theist, not an atheist, to say at least there's a God and maybe I don't like that God, but there is a God. That's what a theist believes. Because here's the, here's the traditional Christian view about how our world began. Something exists. Do you believe something exists? Something can't come from nothing. Do you believe something can't come from nothing? Therefore, it is necessary for a first cause to cause something to come from nothing. We believe the first cause is God, right? Nowhere in that argument is there anything about pain and suffering. Nowhere in what Jesus said about eternal life is there anything about pain and suffering. We, we believe there's pain and suffering. Jesus said you're going to have trouble. Let's say that Rachel and Hannah come up today and they start spreading some rumors in the church that, that their dad is mean and all he cares about is himself and he's just causing so much evil in their lives. Would you therefore say, Doug does not exist? There's so much pain in Rachel and Hannah's life that Doug can't possibly exist. There is no Doug. That's what atheists say. You would question my goodness, you wouldn't question my existence. That's where we're going. Now, is there evil in the world? Yes. But God is not the source of evil that we see. We are. Humans are. God is responsible for the fact of freedom. We, free creatures, are responsible for our acts of freedom. God's responsible for the fact of freedom. We are responsible for our acts of freedom. And God will not force free people to make a choice, right choices. He knows that with free choices comes the possibility of evil, of pain and suffering. But God knows that even if you choose wrong and pain and suffering come from that, eventually he's going to work good out of that. See, when we're when parents, we do this all the time. If you're arguing with your kid about touching a hot stove and you've told them eight million times not to touch that hot stove, eventually you're going to go touch it. It only takes once, right? A little bit of pain and suffering, they think, ooh. Because then what do the kids do? They go by and they say, hot, hot. They know, they learn from pain and suffering. If we, as humans, can, can allow our children to make some choices that result in pain and suffering because we know good will come from it, we have, Im, uh, impartial, we have partial knowledge. God has full knowledge. Can't God do the same thing with full knowledge of everything that's going to happen in the universe? Yes, thank you, Miss Yvonne. I love it when she's here. God's character and power guarantee good will come from evil for certain people. For certain people. Let me show you those certain people. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's where most people stop. That is not where the Bible stops. How do you know if someone loves him? Those who have been called according to his purpose. God does not say God causes everything to happen. It doesn't say that everything that happens is good. It says that God works in all of those things for the good of a certain group of people. Not people who say they're Christ followers. 
Not people who aren't Christ followers, people that are on the path actively following Christ. God says he'll be sure that everything good and bad that happens in your life works for good. That's to make you look like Jesus, to conform you to the image of his son. Now, when I was typing this out this week, I, uh, I came across a quote. And, and so I typed out, this, this is on my, my transcript here, knowing Romans 8, 28 allows this former pastor to say something, but, but then I thought, no, 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 knowing it isn't good enough. So in parentheses, I went back and I put owning Romans 8, 28, believing that God works in all things to bring about good, allowed this former pastor in Paris to say this. If God would concede me his omnipotence for 24 hours, you would see how many changes I would make in the world. It'd be Bruce Almighty. I'm going to write a few wrongs, right? But then look what he says. But if he gave me his wisdom too, I would leave things just as they are. This guy understands that, that not everything is as what you can see. What you can see is temporary. What you cannot see is eternal. And I got a question for you today. Why do we assume that if there is a God, he must be good and just? Because if you think about every other religious system in the world, God is not good and just. Um, the Pharaohs didn't believe in good and just gods. They believed in pretty mean gods. Mythology, they made up mean gods. Romans, Caesars, none of them believed in a good God. Where did we get that idea? Someone told us. We didn't get it from nature. Nature is not good and just. In fact, Janie was all excited this a uh, couple weeks ago. She comes running out. She goes, hey, I, I have a blessing to share with you. I'm in my chair. I'm reading my Bible. And I'm like, okay, she's excited. I mean, she's like a kid on Christmas morning. And I thought, wow, this ought to be good. And I said, what's going on? She said, a mama red bird is making a nest right outside our window. Okay, so our window is here in our bedroom. It goes all the way down to the floor. The nest is about right here. And she watches it. She's bringing stuff in and it's making the nest. And she said, it is so cute when, the, when she comes in and she starts doing this. And I thought, that's cute right there. Will you do that again? Um, so I made her tell Rachel the same story and she did it again. I'm like, yeah, I like that. Um, but what I thought, my first thought was, my first thought was not, oh, this is a blessing from God. My first thought was, and I said, I think her babies are going to be removed from the gene pool because it's way too close to the ground. There's animals around here. This is a dumb bird. It's not going to make it. Well, two days later, she comes, she goes, there are two eggs. And Janie's short, so she has to get the step stool and she's up. She's leaning over. She's, Look at the two eggs. They're there. And I'm like, they ain't going to make it. The next day, they're gone. We have cats. We have all kinds of animals. I mean, I just like, I'm like, mm, she's, she was all sad. It's a perfect little nest. She cuts out the nest. My whole point is, Nature is not good and just and fair. It wasn't fair that something ate those eggs. You don't get fairness from, from, from uh, nature. Where did we get it? The justice and dignity for all version of God was introduced by Jesus. That's where it came about. Before Jesus, you heard about local gods, that if you did the right sacrifices, they might protect you. Kind of like a mob boss comes in and says, you give me money and, and I'll protect you. You don't give me money, I kill you. That's kind of what their gods were like. Those gods didn't love anyone except themselves. Before Jesus, there was no concept of a God is love. But Jesus speaking to a religious leader says this in John three sixteen: For God, what are those next three words, four words? So loved the world. This was unheard of in the Jews' time. Remember I told you last week, the Jews thought that they were God's chosen people and God tolerated everybody else. Jesus says, God loves the world. So loved the world that he gave his own one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
And when he said these words, there was no justice, there was no dignity for anyone into that time frame, Jesus says, God so loved. You see, the rich ruled over the poor. The powerful ruled over the weak. It was a corrupt, power-hungry, money-hungry society. And Jesus says, everyone matters to God. Jesus, um, the way he treated women was different than anybody else. The way he treated sick people was different than anybody else in the history of the world. Jesus says, in that society, God loves everybody. And if the Christian God had been so fragile that he could have been argued out of existence because of evil, pain, and suffering in the world, he wouldn't have made it out of the first century because for 300 years, Christians were persecuted, they were tortured, they were killed simply because they said, we believe Jesus is the son of God. Now, Jesus told them before he left, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Do you know what that statement implies? That the gates of hell will attempt to prevail against the church. That means there's going to be evil in this world. So what do we do to combat the gates of hell? We do what Jesus tells us to do, and and we do what John says in 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. The source of God is love. When you and I love one another, we are reflecting God's nature to others. And you don't find anywhere else in any other religion this type of teaching. So I've been telling you for several weeks, when you step away from one belief, you step towards another. If you step away from Christianity, you're stepping towards atheism, and atheism doesn't offer hope. In fact, Stephen, uh, Stephen Hawking, when he was speaking to uni- at the University of Cambridge, he gave a speech there. Here's, what, here's his quote. I'm not going to do the whole thing, but this is just part of what he said. The terror of my mind is that we have arrived on the scene because of evolution, because of natural selection, and natural selection assumes natural rejection, which means we have arrived here because of our aggression. Okay, Stephen Hawking says, I'm worried about the human race. And so he goes on to say, you know what the solution for the human race is? We have to find other planets that we can inhabit, and we have to split the human race up. Why? Because if we don't, we will annihilate each other, because that's what you get from nature. That's what you get when biology is in charge. The nature of natural selection is not dignity and justice and love. And and if you're an atheist, the way you get rid of justice is to get rid of God. They say there is no God. If you get rid of him, there's nothing left but biology. Once there's no standard for justice, injustice ceases to exist. So what do you get? Here's what you get. You get my justice. You get my justice. Where are you, dude? There's a whole big slide with all those in there. And you get a whole bunch of other stuff. There you go. You get my justice or your justice. Or you get Nazi justice or ISIS justice. You get majority justice, power justice, clan justice, street justice. Whoever's biology is the strongest. Whoever's dancing the best to their DNA. Whoever's DNA is the best. You get their justice and they win. You see, when we reject God, here's the next thing on your listening guide. When we reject God because of injustice in the world, we don't solve the problem of injustice. We lose the the definition of injustice. Now, this begs the question, if the God of Jesus loves everyone, does he ever do anything about injustice? Yes. Jesus is the one who brought us the idea that God is love, but that's not all he brought. He also brought us that God is just. In the future, there will be the thing that everybody accuses God of not doing. There will be justice for all. But you, there is no justice without judgment. And we don't like this. 
because we know we're guilty. And, and if I want judgment for John, I know that judgment for Doug is, is just down the road. We want a grandfather in heaven. We want someone who will wink and say, oh, what you did is not so bad. Come on in. When God saw the sorry state of our world, God the father, not God the grandfather, he sent a savior, not a judge. Look what Jesus said in John 12, 47. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. So there's the God of love that everyone wants. But that's not all Jesus brought. Look what happens in the next verse. Our next set of verses. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me or wear me out is what another translation says by keeping coming. And the Lord said, Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. The unjust judge gave her justice. And then he says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen? and ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And, and then I think the disciples are going, whoa, whoa, time out, time out. Aren't you the son of man? Because that's his favorite title for himself. All the time, Jesus said, son of man, son of man. And some people think that means that he was born of a woman. That's why he called himself son of man. No, it goes back to a prophecy in Daniel. Daniel said the Messiah was the son of man. Jesus identified very clearly as the Messiah. And they're going, wait, wait, wait. You call yourself the son of man. You're here. What are you talking about? When the son of man comes. When the Son of Man comes again. Son of Man this time, when he comes back. Because see, here's what the, here's what the Jews didn't understand. That, that the suffering servant would come first. But then the conquering king would come. That's what the book of Revelation is about. The conquering king. And when the conquering king comes, it is too late to, to, to appeal to God's mercy and grace. We want a God of love who cares deeply about justice, but who doesn't judge anybody. That's impossible. If you reject the God of Jesus, you reject the basis for justice, the basis for human dignity. You know what you're left with? Biology. Biology can't bring you dignity. Biology can't bring you love. And biology only brings the justice that that biology sees fit. But here's the good news. This is where we're going and we're done. If you accept Jesus, you get love now and justice later. There's no other religion like this. If anyone had a reason to turn their back on God or to stop believing in God because of injustice, it was Jesus. The only perfectly pure, never guilty person died on the cross and he was executed by the people he came to die for. Jesus is the one that said, everyone is worth dying for. Those people killed him. See, here's what I love about Christianity. God didn't, God subjected himself to the same type of evil that you and I do. He didn't protect himself from pain. He sent Jesus to experience that pain. So evil and injustice are not arguments against God. They are evidence that we need God. And if you really care about justice, you should want Christianity to be true. Um, evil and justice are just constant reminders that there's something wrong with us. 
And when we long for justice, for every evil act that's done, that's not even possible in this world. It requires a God who's outside of this world to bring that justice about. Christians believe that God will do so because Jesus told us that. Now, almost everyone asks, why, don't, why doesn't God stop evil? But nobody ever asks, why doesn't God get rid of pleasure? You see, because if God got rid of pleasure, that seems like a good way to get rid of evil in this world while still having free choice for humans. Because the reason people do evil is to get something that brings them pleasure, right? So people lie, steal, kill um, to get money and sex and power. Those things bring them pleasure. Remove those, remove the pleasure and you remove the incentive to commit sin or commit evil. And man, wouldn't that be a drab place, drab world? The better solution is not to get rid of the good, but to heal what has gone bad. You see, pleasure comes from the heart of God. Evil comes from the heart of man. We're broken. That's why we do evil. So God sent Jesus to deal with our brokenness. No other religion deals with it like this. You get love, dignity, grace, respect now. You get justice later. And we long for justice. Now here's one last C.S. Lewis quote from Mere Christianity. He said, if I find myself in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And you, you recognize it every day. You see injustice, you say, oh, when is God going to bring about justice? You know in your heart what could be, what should be. Jesus said one day will be. Evil, pain, suffering. That's not an argument against God. That's a reminder that we need God. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to learn more and more about your son, Jesus, to reflect him. Because darkness is overpowering the world, it's because we're not reflecting the light. Darkness is an absence of light. Evil is an absence of good. God, help us to be a a force for good. Help us to be like salt that delays rot. Help us to to be light that, that chases away darkness so that more and more people can hear about the love now and the justice later. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.